I've been enjoying this, this series that we've been in, and really my goal, this, this whole series, has been to take the burden off of you. Like, so many times it's so easy to come to church and we hear about the things that we need to do, and that's important sometimes because everybody has a next step. There's always a next step. But in this series, we're talking about the benefits that Christmas brings. Say benefits. 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 These are the benefits that Christmas brings. Not not the the compensation that you work to earn. It's benefits. I want you to know there's benefits to following Jesus. When, when, When you make a decision to follow Christ, there's some stuff that comes with it. And of course, there's work that we do. We, we partner with Jesus. That's appropriate. In fact, one of my favorite verses where Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. The next part of what he says is, he says, take my yoke upon you, for, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We lots of times don't know what that means, but a, a yoke would have been something put on oxen, and it was put typically on two oxen. Meaning that Jesus saying, hey, I want you to take my yoke, partner with me. I, I want to walk with you, and I want to work with you. I'm going to shoulder the burden for you. That's why it's light. That's why it's easy. I'm not trying to put stuff on you. I'm trying to take stuff off you. So we've been doing that in this series through the lens of Advent. And Advent, it's, it's a new tradition for us in our church. I've, I've never taken time to teach on it or observe it or light the candles, but it's not a new tradition. It's an old tradition. I think one of the fun things about when you're newly married and celebrating Christmas or maybe starting a family is you get to decide what are the traditions that you're bringing in to celebrate. Well, I'm, I'm hoping we can begin to bring this tradition in. It's an over 1,600-year-old Christian tradition, and it was started because as a way of commemorating, remembering reflecting on Jesus' birth and on Jesus' return. There's the first time he came, and we look forward to his second coming. And the earliest mention we we see of Advent is in 380 AD, something called the Council of Saragossa. Now, all that was is a gathering of church leaders, and they got together to talk about the things they want to keep and preserve. And that's not the invention or creation or establishment of Advent, but what it was is establishing the continuation of Advent, where the church leaders got together and said, hey, it's, it's so important that during this time of year, we remember that the Son of God, the divine, came to earth in the flesh and that he's going to come again. So the way it's memorialized, it's morphed some over the years, but there's typically some things that are always common. And we talked about this first candle, the candle of hope. Sometimes it's called the prophecy candle where we remember the prophets, how they foretold the Messiah would be born and how he would come. And that brought hope to people. And then last week we talked about the peace candle. Sometimes it's called the Bethlehem candle. And then the next candle that we're going to talk about today is the candle of joy. Sometimes it's called the shepherd candle. Calling to mind how the shepherds had the angels announce to them the birth of the Messiah. And it would be, it caused them great joy. Now, what's funny to me as I look at this is there's 
different colored candles. And you've got the purple, you've got the white, sometimes uh, Christ candle. And the purple ones, that makes sense. It's purple, typically, it's a symbol of consecration and preparation, anticipation. But when you get to the pink candle, why is it pink? It seems a little out of place to me. Like, I, I tried to do some research finding out why this candle, like in the middle, is all of a sudden pink. It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, they would say, well, it symbolizes joy, of course, but really no explanation for this unexpected change in color. And if you're like me, maybe it makes a little sense that it's out of place. Because honestly, I feel a little out of place talking about this purpose of joy. And the shepherds are sometimes the least likely people you would think to have a part in this message. So I want us to look together in Luke chapter 2. This is the quintessential Christmas story, starting in verse 8 as we learn about the joy candle. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Now, as I was studying for this message, there were a lot of angles I thought I could take. Like I thought about, we could call this message bundle of joy because you got Jesus, we're talking about joy and he's wrapped up. And I was thinking about all the things that come with it. Like it's kind of a package deal. That was almost the title I I thought. It's a package deal because you've got night, darkness, and glory and light. You've got fear and you've got peace. You've got this juxtaposition of the highest heaven and peace on earth, all these different things. But I want to give it to you the way God gave it to me as I was thinking about this candle that's out of place, that seems out of place compared to everything that we're talking about. So as we light this third candle, the candle of joy, I want to call this message today, put you in your place. Put you in your place. It's usually preceded by the words, don't make me. Put you in your place. At least in my house, uh, I've got four children, four bundles of joy most of the time. And uh, I've noticed as a parent, sometimes they think in their limited lifespan on earth 
that God has given them more wisdom than he has given me to parent them. And so I, gotta, I, I need to remind them, don't make me put you in your place. <laughs> At least with my boys, sometimes they, they think they can take me in a wrestling match. And I'll just tell them, don't, don't make me put you in your place. It's usually what we say to somebody. Sometimes Marissa says it to me, if you want to know the truth. But we usually say it to someone when, you know, they're stepping out of line. And everyone would have been thinking that about the shepherds. Because you wouldn't ex expect the shepherds to be in this place of telling the message and arrival of Jesus' birth. You might not know this, but shepherds during this time were considered low class. They had very little, no status. Sometimes if we grew up in church, we might think like shepherds are kind of a big deal or kind of important because like Moses was a shepherd. He led the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. Or we, we hear about King David. David started as a shepherd boy and he could become king. And we're like, oh, that's, he's a shepherd. Shepherds must, must have been, you know, pretty amazing. But in this time, shepherds were looked down on. Because the religious system of the day was one that in order to have God's favor, in order to have God's approval, in order to, to be right with God, you had to keep the law. And there were a lot of rules of, uh, during this time, but one of them and a very significant part of keeping the law was some ritual cleansing, had to do with purity. And that would have been impossible for a shepherd. Shepherd was always dealing with animals. Sometimes wounded animals, sometimes dead animals. Some, they, were, they were dirty. It was a dirty job. But in this time, for people who were taught from a young age that the way to God was keeping the law, shepherds had been let down. They were outcasts in Israel. And you even see they were out of place in verse 8 where we started. Because it says, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. In other words, they, they were living out. They weren't allowed to live in with everybody else. And I needed to start with these people who are out of place. Because like I said, when it comes to the topic of joy, I often feel out of place. Like I kind of resisted this sermon. <laughs> I knew the joy candle was coming up. And I'm thinking like, what am, what am I going to share about this? Because like, I've, I've got RBF sometimes, resting blessed face. What do you think I was talking my, my rest, resting Bible face. And uh, it's just like, I don't like a lot of the sermons I, I hear about joy. Like it always kind of comes off cliche. You hear things, and I'm sure I've said it, you know, like happiness is based on happenings. But joy is found in Jesus. Okay, well, that's, that's good. But life kind of sucks for me right now. How am I supposed to find joy? Well, happiness is, you know, external and joy is internal. So I'm supposed to be okay with everything that's, that's going on. And it's not that that's wrong. Like, I, I get, I'm, I'm for anything that helps people grab hold of a truth and, and live it out. But sometimes it seems so shallow and especially, I mean, just talking about happiness in general. I've, I've noticed there's almost like two ditches we fall into whenever we start talking about joy or I hear sermons on joy. Like one of the ditches that I hear, it's almost like preachers come across like, God doesn't care about your happiness. 
And, and I've heard that. I probably said it. Like, God doesn't care about your happiness. He cares about your holiness. Okay. I get it. That makes sense. But I would just like to submit to you that part of the reason God cares about our holiness more than our happiness is because he knows that anything that doesn't contribute to our holiness ultimately doesn't contribute to our happiness. The, the things that really make you happy are the things that also make you holy. And, you know, we can, we can run in a ditch with that. And the truth is, you look at Scripture, Scripture has a lot to say about happiness. I mean, I, I think of so many Scriptures, how it's, it talks about how every good gift comes down from our Father in heaven. How God, First Timothy 6, 17 says, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. It says this in Matthew 7, how, how if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father how much more will he give good things to you? In, in the parable of the talents, it, Jesus is telling this parable. He, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. There's Psalm 144. talks about happy is the one whose God is the Lord. I, I don't think God is against our happiness. I think God cares about our happiness. But just like me as a parent... There's a lot of things my kids want that they think that would make them happy. They would make them happy to eat candy all day. But ultimately, that's not going to be good for them. Well, the same thing is with God. So when he cares about our holiness, I would say by extension, he cares about our happiness. That's, that's one ditch. The other ditch we can fall into, though, is where we esteem joy to this point that we, we kind of have this negative connotation for all the other emotions, like like joy is the ultimate and other emotions that are not of joy are, are, are not good. We give them th this bad connotation. And one thing that's really helped me over the years is just to recognize that there's not good emotions and bad emotions. It's not like there's good feelings and bad feelings. There, there's just feelings. God gave you all of them. He, he created you with them. And what I would tell you is... Anytime we are controlled by our feelings, anytime we are driven by our feelings, that's never helpful. There's times that some feelings are more helpful than others. But I'm just trying to help you see it's not that feelings and emotions are positive and like joy is good and fear is bad. No, there's, there's, they're neutral. They tell us something. And it really depends on the cause. So like anger, I mean, anger can create hostility, but it can also cause you to right or wrong. Fear can trap you and limit you and keep you stuck, but it can also protect you. It's called wisdom. Sadness can hurt and be painful, but also it can move you to meet a need. We call it compassion. Happiness, it's a great thing. But if you just pursue happiness as your ultimate goal, well, it'll ultimately lead to an unfulfilled, unfruitful life. And I, I say that because... You need to understand that happiness and joy, even though happiness seems shallow, happiness and joy are really interchangeable in Scripture. All, all throughout the Bible, the same word is translated both ways. And I, I know sometimes we have this low view of happiness and this high view of joy, but even joy, something that we're talking about, I mean, if that is your sole filter, it is not always going to leave you to a good place. Like, I remember a few years back, there was this trending Maria Kondo Netflix Thing and and uh, the whole question you're supposed to ask about organizing your life is, 
does this spark joy in you? And some of you are like, my husband does not spark joy in me. I'm, I'm throwing him out with everything else. But uh, that's my challenge when we talk about joy. That's why I don't want to give you a, a cliche message. I, I want to give you something that is going to be helpful that you can apply into all the different situations you're going to be going into over the next several days. And that's why I like verse 10 in this passage because we see a very clear connection. In verse 10, the angel speaking to the shepherd says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. That's the first thing I notice is that you don't get great joy without good news. How many of you like good news? Okay, we'll try it. How many of you like good news? Yeah. It's like, like, okay, we're getting a little better. That's all I want for Christmas is for you to respond when I ask you a question. <laughs> if you would just do that, that would, that would mean so much. To clap if, if, if there's something that God speaks to you. You know, to laugh at a joke, something like that. <clears throat> and for those of you that don't, I'm just going to stare at you. <laughs> make you feel really uncomfortable. But... Uh, I, I like good news, and I think we, we need good news because we live in a world of so much bad news. You know, somebody says, have you heard? And the next, you brace yourself because you know they're going to tell you something bad, and you turn on the TV and see what's happening in the world, and you see what's happening to people, or you think about your own personal failings or what didn't go the way you wanted or business that's struggling. But the gospel is good news. It literally means good news. That same word when he says, I bring you good news, that's the word gospel translated other places. And so... When I call this message, put you in your place, one of the first things I want you to grab hold of is that this is good news for you. This is good news for you. This isn't just a story that happened years and years ago in a country far away. It's good news for you today. And if I could just help you a little bit, help, help everybody here, I, I want you to know God knows you. He, he sees you. He, he cares about you. He knows the stuff you're going through. He knows the stuff that's weighing you down. He, he sees you. He knows you. He made you. He loves you. And this is good news for you. You see it in this passage in verse 10. I just want to point this out to you as this angel is speaking. How much he's talking to the shepherds. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah of the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And what I love about this passage is God is speaking and choosing some people that would have been considered not good enough, and he gives them a divine mess, mission and message. If, if I can help you, God is not waiting on you to clean up your life before he gives you a purpose. God is not waiting on you to get your act together before he will show up in your life and speak to you and bring you some news that will give you joy. God, God is not... Like, the burden is not on you to straighten yourself out, make things all right. Now, again, as we follow Jesus, we're, we're, we are striving for his plan and purpose. 
But some of you, you think, I can't do anything for God until I get all this stuff worked out first. The shepherds, that's how everybody would have looked at them. They're too bad for God. Not good enough for God. Too bad to be used. But God comes to them and says, you're good enough. I got a message for you. And I got a mission for you. And it's good news for you. God's word to the shepherd is God's word to you. And that's a reason to celebrate. And I just, again, if I can help you just remove some pressure, remove some, some burden. As you go into the holiday season, I just want to encourage you, go big. Celebrate big. Like some, sometimes there's this idea, well, joy is internal. And all God really cares about is the condition of my heart. Can I, like you know that song I used to sing as kids. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Da- down in my heart. Where? It's, it's down in my heart. It's, well, could you put it on your face, please? I, I'm, I'm glad you got it in your heart. But it's not supposed to stay there. Like, like this is, is the thought that, like, feel free to celebrate with the stuff. I don't mean celebrate the stuff, but celebrate with the stuff. Eat the fudge, drink the eggnog, wrap the presents, go, go big with the decorations. Why? God, who is spirit, came into a material world. And a, a very real incarnation deserves a very real celebration. I, I'm, 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 I'm glad you got joy in your heart, but it doesn't have to stay there. Like, like, let it come out in the way you celebrate. This is good news for you. So you can celebrate that. But it's not just good news for you. It's also good news for others. I don't know if you noticed, after the angels gave this message to the shepherds about what it meant for them, he wanted them to know what it meant for others. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So it's good news for you, but it is not only for you. And this truth impacts all of our relationships. Like if you just for a moment, those of you who have accepted Christ, those of you who are following Jesus, if you just think about what that means to you. What does that mean to you? We've been talking about hope and peace. Today we're talking about joy. You just take inventory of your life, of how God has been faithful to you, how he has strengthened you, how he has brought you into community, how he has given you purpose and vision for your life, how he has sustained you, how he has comforted you. What does that mean to you that you know Jesus? And as you think about that, I want you to take it one step further and think about who you know, who needs to know. Notice in verse 17, it says, when they had seen him, they spread the word. Concerning what had been told them about this child. They went and they were telling everybody. We have a saying around here. We say good news is meant to be shared. Like when something good happens to you, you don't keep that to yourself. Hey, mom, I passed the test. Guess what? We're getting married. Guess what? We're pregnant. Guess what? I got the promotion. Hey, I graduated. I did. When there's good news, you share it. You got to check out this restaurant. It's amazing. All I would humbly ask you. God has been good to you. This is good news for you. Will you share it? 
Like, like just very practically, send somebody a YouTube link to one of the messages. Send somebody a link to, to one the podcast messages. Invite somebody to sit with you. Uh, our Christmas Eve services coming up. Maybe you, you know somebody certain. Invite them to the empty chair service. But bring somebody with you. Maybe what you want to do as we talk about sharing the good news, you just set a purpose in your heart that in the new year, you're going to gather your friends around you. You're going to begin to discuss the messages in a group. Two, three, four. We make it so easy for you to get your friends together. We put the notes, the questions. All you have to do, just meet them at your favorite coffee shop. Meet them at your favorite restaurant. Invite them over to your home. Just begin to discuss the messages once a week, every other week. But don't keep this good news to yourself. Share it with others. And here's the last one. It's good news for you. It's good news for others. It's also this good news is about Jesus. It's the fact that Jesus is here. Notice in verse 11, it says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. What does it mean that it's about Jesus? It means that he took the initiative. He came to us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. And it's funny because in the story, we read about how the shepherds had to go find Jesus. And so sometimes we use that language like, I found God. And we all know what everybody means when they say that. But really what Christmas tells us is God came to us. He made himself known. He announced himself to the shepherds. God is not hiding himself from you. He's not trying to be hard to find. Now, I don't know that the Jewish people would have felt that way when the angels showed up. Because up until this point, for 400 years, they've been waiting for this. That's where we get the word Advent from. Waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. Waiting for his coming. They were under Roman occupation. What's that mean? That they had liberty but not freedom. They were, they were taxed. It was a heavy burden. They didn't have, the, the empire expected loyalty. They, they didn't have just freedom to do all the things that they wanted. They're, they were subject to Roman laws. Not exactly a cause for celebration. That's why I want you to notice what they did, because there's a lesson for us here. In verse 15, it says, When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Here, here's what I notice. That joy comes when I start moving towards what God has already done. See, the fact of the matter is you can spend your whole life waiting for God to do something for you or you can move toward what he's already told you. I, I, I like this because it tells me I don't need my situation to change for my joy to change. Good news brings great joy. Not, not better circumstances bring great joy. Good news. The good news that's for you. The good news that's for others. The good news that's about Jesus. What's interesting is you look at what happens. Verse 20 says the shepherds returned 
glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. But what was interesting to me is I think about the story, like, this was a divine moment, divine encounter. I'm thinking if I'm one of these shepherds who has been looked down on, who's been counted out, who feels out of place, like, when this happens, I'm going to try to parlay this into something else, like, I'm telling everybody already, I'm going to try to become an influencer. I'm going to try to, you know, turn this into a book deal, a tell-all, what it was like. I'm doing interviews. I'm, I'm trying to turn this into something more. But the shepherds just returned back to their same position, lowly place. And that's what I wanted to grab hold of. Because I, I said you got to put you in your place, and, and maybe we've had this wrong because we thought we needed a different situation, different circumstances. See, we miss joy when we get things out of order. And instead of thinking, it's good news for you, it's good news for others, it's good news about Jesus, what, what if we put you in the right place? What, what, what if we say, okay, before I do anything, this is about Jesus. It's not that my stuff isn't important, but I'm going to lay that aside. I'm going to seek him. I'm going to seek Jesus. I mean, you think your stuff is important. That for the shepherds, their flock was their livelihood, but they left that behind. We're going to seek Jesus. What do they do? Shared it with others. You got to begin to serve others. One of the, the keys to joy is to begin to serve others. It is a fact of life that the happiest people in life are the most helpful people in life. That's why when we talk about serving, like serving in church, it's a key to joy. I would say for anybody who's not on a team, there's a team for you to find a place to greet somebody, to help behind the scenes, to help in front of the scenes. A key to joy is, is to help, is to serve. Paul put it this way in Philippians, it's sort of the most joyous book in the Bible, the New Testament. He was in prison, he's writing to a church. Notice what he said in Philippians 2, verse 17. He said this My life is being poured out as a part of the sacrifice and service I offer to God for your faith. Yet I'm filled with joy, and I share that joy with all of you. Just notice. I offer to God, but it's for you. And because of that, I'm filled with joy. When, when we talk about serving, it's a key to joy. To be happy, you have to be helpful. The more unselfish you are, the more joy flows into your life. I'm not saying the things that are concerning you aren't important, but just like these shepherds, keeping watch over their flock by night. Maybe you spent too long staying up all night, worrying, stressing about stuff. If you begin to turn, begin to seek Jesus, serve others, and put you in your place, I believe you'll experience joy. A place you didn't expect when you put you in your place.